This episode of Run As Radio is sponsored by Azure Pipelines, Microsoft's CI/CD platform for any app, language, or cloud. Free for open source projects and integrated with GitHub CI Marketplace. Learn more by visiting azure.com slash pipelines. RunAsRadio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 601, Whitelisting Applications in Windows with guest Sammy Leho, recorded Monday, August 20th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Quap Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio, bringing back Sammy Leho, who's one of the world's leading professionals in Windows operating systems and security. He's been working and teaching operating systems troubleshooting management and security for more than 15 years because he's getting old like the rest of us. Welcome back, sir. Hello. I'm so happy to be back. Thanks for having me again. Well, you scared the snot out of us last year with the DMA attacks. So <laughs> I stepped quietly back into, should we bring Sammy back? What's he up to these days? I mean, still, you're a security guy. I appreciate security topics, but not just the hey, everything you knew about your machine being yours is wrong. Talk to me about whitelisting. What are we really talking about here? How do you approach it? Another big change that actually happened recently is that uh, whitelisting itself had like its first opportunity to surface back in like 2005 timeframe. But then at that time, everyone was looking at uh, all these security vendors were trying to put in some whitelisting, but there was really not that much traction to it because it was kind of everyone was trying to list hash values of every single binary that's running in the operating system but at that time the problem was that there were like 300 bad guys and there were like more good guys than there were bad guys Uh. so people tried it but it was a bit too tedious and now in 2015 and 2016 and 2017 so three consecutive years there was Gartner and other big security fronts said that getting rid of admin rights was the biggest thing for that year. But now for 2018, for the first time, for example, Gartner, uh, NIST, they're saying that the biggest thing to deploy to keep your computer secure is actually whitelisting. Interesting. So they feel like we've sort of gotten better, because right? certainly I've talked about it many times on the show, of you know just enough administration, stop as an admin, stop doing your regular domain type work in an admin account, you know, live like your regular users live. Do you think that's kind of taken a hold enough now that we can deprioritize that and work on the next problem? I think it's kind of like sinking in finally. And I see it all around the world that everyone's kind of like, probably, I think that's now not sorted out, but the situation is a lot better than it used to be. Certainly visible. Yeah. And I, I think that for the most part, 
admins react well to this idea of you're now the target. Mm-hmm. They're not targeting your user so much as it's easier for me to target an administrator mm-hmm. than it is to, to target a user, which I find fascinating because then it's you start thinking differently. You start to take a step back and go, am I actually doing all those same best practices that I'm trying to push on my users? Yeah, and that's the big change in like the whole antivirus stuff is that the old style antivirus and anti-malware was looking at kind of more of um, these fingerprints right. and the old way of trying to do this is absolutely impossible now that we have well not me i mean i'm working for microsoft and microsoft has about or finds about one million new pieces of malware every day oh my goodness. which means that the old way of trying to protect against like blacklisting things that are bad is just it's not working the share volume is too much to handle. They're going to overwhelm us. Yes. So when I explain this, I say exactly that. Blacklisting is I'll let anything on the machine, but then I have a tool, typically antivirus, that has a blacklist mm. that's trying to identify and remove the bad guys. But you're just saying that's overwhelmed now. It's not going to work. That's overwhelmed. And I think it's kind of like, if nothing else, then it's actually like your networks can't even take them, take the load of just installing those new databases every day of a, more than a million new bad guys. Sure. And now if you look at the old style of even going back to 2005, so now it's a lot more, sounds like a better option because although people used to tell me that I'm too lazy to do, to do whitelisting, I'm actually saying that I'm too lazy not to do whitelisting. Right. Because I, I, I can only list 70 good things and then I keep listing maybe one new per week or one new per month, but the one admin that's not lazy he's trying to list one million lines every day yeah so blacklisting is actually the hard work whitelisting is the easy work absolutely that is an amazing change like just astonishing mm-hmm. that that we that we've gotten to that point I, I and i recently explained the whitelisting model by saying you know the ios is the guys who showed this off because they started from scratch mm-hmm. where they and they always had an app store the whitelist was the app store exactly I don't know about you, but I'm not thrilled with the Windows App Store. <laughs> Tell me we don't have, just saying, just saying, I don't have to use an App Store to whitelist on Windows. Isn't this AppLocker's job? Yeah, it's kind of, we have to do it with AppLocker. Okay. Because there's a, we have, we do have a store, but the store is just for the modern apps. And those modern apps, as you said, it's not that much as we have on like uh, Apple's or Android's. Right. Well, Android's not a good example here, but but uh, Apple is. And and, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say that Apple is virtuous because of that. They started from scratch only a decade ago, so they get this mm. option. We've been around longer than that, so we don't get this option. Yeah, we don't get that. That's true. All right. So what is what does it take then? Like what what are we actually talking about of how you get to this lockdown state? Well, first of all, you have this uh, weird assumption around the industries that you need Windows 7 or Windows 10 Enterprise to be able to use AppLocker. Oh, yeah. People should remember that AppLocker, if you check out the registry settings that AppLocker does, it actually writes those values to a registry key called SRPv2, which comes from the name Software Restriction Policy Version 2. And the old style Software Restriction Policy Version 1 which in cases can actually do things that even AppLocker can't, like different file types, not just binaries, 
that's actually available in the professional version of Windows 7 and Windows 10 as well. Hmm. So there's no ex- excuse of not doing whitelisting because we don't have enterprise, because then you just have to use the software restriction policy version 1, which has a little lousier user interface, but can technically do the same things as AppLocker can. Wow. And then there's a new, new thing on the block called Device Card, or actually... Just to keep our interest up, Microsoft changes the name every week. So yeah. now I think it's called Windows Defender Application Control. Because that's a better name. No, that's actually <laughs> just a thing. Take, take my word for it and keep away from it for a while. It just needs some more. Is it not quite ripe? Yeah. I love this statement. I Microsoft tells me that constantly to my customers, they tell that, uh, this Defender application control is like app locker on steroids. Uh-huh. And I say that I totally agree with that, but you have to remember that most people should not take steroids. Yes, you're right. He is on steroids. That's why his voice is so squeaky and his balls have shrunk. <laughs> <laughs> computer and you had a you have a whitelisting option so the software restriction policy one or software restriction policy version two it's just people didn't like software restriction policy like 10 years ago so then microsoft decided to rebrand it as app locker so it's just a new fancy name okay so you don't really need anything else but that and then the biggest mistake people do is like topic references that i can talk about this there's a big thing here for me, F- Finland is not a NATO country, right. but NATO, for example, requires AppLocker for Windows 10. So I don't even have to go around companies telling them why whitelisting would be a great idea. Now I actually just almost every week do a AppLocker implementation because it's actually a requirement, not a recommendation anymore. Oh, interesting. So you're just helping people out so they can be compliant. Yes. And my biggest reference was City of Helsinki. This is now like nine years ago. When we started doing this project, and uh, that's something I can talk about. And there's, they started with a whitelist of 8,000 lines. And everyone can guess that if you get 8,000 lines on a, like any kind of a user interface, it's a horrible thing to manage. 8,000 lines of what? Is that 8,000 different apps? Yeah. Well, actually, the bad thing is that the AppLocker user interfaces don't have a detection for duplicates. So if, when I took all of that, and put it into Excel, and I just found duplicates from Excel. They only had like 2,000 different applications, Okay. but their IT guys had just been accustomed to the fact that this one is not working. Maybe it's not working because it's not on the whitelist. So they kept, kept like adding it and adding it and adding it. And never taking anything out. What about version numbers? Is, it, is each version a different entry? Well, that would be. But now, for example, with Helsinki, there's so many ways of doing whitelisting. And now I can tell you about like the bad way and the good way, if, if you ask me. I mean, it's uh, the, the 2,000 lines that we ended up with after removing the duplicates. We got that down to 74 lines. Wow. By changing a little bit on how they did it and how I think it should be done. So I think the main thing for everyone, when, as you said, like version number, that would be a different entry if you were doing it the old way. Like 10 years ago, you would list every single binary that you're going to run. Right. So program files, for example, would be like 600 different executables. Sure. But now what we do is we rely on the fact that for the past few years, you worked on the fact that you got rid of admin rights. Mm-hmm. Now we only whitelist containers. So the basic app locker rule is allow everything from program files, 
allow everything from Windows folder. Don't allow anything else. Okay. And then we make sure that no one else but admins can change the contents of those containers. So you only have two entries instead of like 600 entries. And then you just make sure that you are doing everything by the principle of least privilege and that your end users don't have admin rights. And then it works like a charm, honestly. It is super easy. And that's not going to block every single piece of malware, but it's just not going to propagate off the given workstation? It doesn't block every kind of malware as we kind of, um, even in AppLocker, we usually trust some signed content. Sure. And now, of course, someone could always steal the signatures from someone or yeah. try to, I mean, actually like steal certificates from someone like they did with Duxnet incident some years ago when they stole Realtex certificates. So someone could do that. But even just like a good example would be WannaCry because that's fresh in everyone's memory. Sure. And WannaCry was actually, if you didn't have admin rights, WannaCry could still encrypt your documents or shares where you would have write permissions to. Right. The thing that you didn't have admin rights would actually prevent it from propagating to other computers because it did that using an SMP version one trick, but that would not work without admin rights. Right. Now, if you have AppLocker, AppLocker would have actually blocked the whole wanna cry in the beginning. Never would have run. Never would have run. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's a great protection because it. I have friends who will tell me that we're not willing to put that much effort into AppLocker. And I actually tell them to just add the basic rules. There's basic, three basic rules is allow everything from program files, allow everything from Windows, and allow admins to run whatever because they can run whatever they want anyway because they can disable a blocker. Right. So those three are the basic rules. And then I tell them that if you want free consulting from me, which is like the best I've ever given, I tell them you add one line to your app blocker which says allow any signed content which almost changes your Windows into this Windows 10S mode. Right. Meaning that you only run anything that's signed. Now, now that's not bulletproof. No. But to be fair, that's one million bad things in a day, and you, with one line, with no antivirus or anything installed, with that one line of rule, you kill 950,000 pieces of malware every single day. Nice. Yeah, the vast majority of them are not signed, and that's just the end of the road. Yeah, then you only have to take care of the 50,000 that only. go past that rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, now it is, that's only. <laughs> no, only. But, I mean, it, it is a pretty significant triage. You took a lot off the plate. It's still a exactly. non-trivial <laughs> pile sitting there waiting for you. Absolutely. Well, and, and one of the issues you have is there's an awful lot of enterprise developers out there that are not signing their code for internal applications. And so... People don't want to turn on signed restrictions just because they won't, don't want to go through the process of getting their own internal code signed. Yeah, tell me about it. Think about me. I'm coming from Finland with like, we had one big company before. It made mobile phones, but we don't like to talk about it anymore. Yeah, we won't talk about them. <laughs> nah, we, we, had a, we had one. And uh, for example, I had this problem with Slack at some point. They were not signing their binaries. And I kept calling them like, hi, this is Mr. Laiho calling from Finland. I would need you to sign your binaries. And they're like, uh, how many computers do you have? I have like 40 <laughs> workstations and five, five servers. Like, okay, we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Yeah. And they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything. No. Now, I totally changed. This is when I started to need to use AppLocker more some years ago. I started this in, honestly, like 2009. With Windows 7 was the first time that we started rolling these out into huge enterprises. 
And what I do now is honestly, I just buy a code signing certificate from VeriSign or whatever that costs you about $200 a year. Right. You sign whatever you have and your OEMs won't sign them. You sign them yourself. <laughs> I love it. If I've got a Slack version that's not signed by, with the DLLs and executables signed, I'll sign it myself. It takes me like a minute and then it goes through that rule again. And I can make that rule actually really bulletproof by saying, let's change from what I just said, which was allow anything signed. But I can actually say allow anything signed by my company. Right. You can re-sign binaries that are already signed. Mm -hmm. So they can have many signatures, which means that's one idea of looking at it is that just have one line saying we allow only things signed by our company. Because if you have a company certificate authority, you don't even have, even have to buy it. You just have to request the certificate from there. Nice. And sign what you get. Right. I got an old web page maker. I'm really poor at doing websites, but, but I have a very old what you see is what you get editor. And it's so old that it was never signed. So I have signed it myself. Now it grows, goes through my app locker. That's such a good idea because that really means it's a way for you to stamp software you've evaluated for safety, right? You go through your testing procedures, you decide that piece of software is safe. If they have it already signed, fine, add it to these signatures that we accept. But if they don't, you use your company signature and just goes, we consider it one of ours, we consider it safe. Yeah, and you can also, you can kind of think about it where you want to do the administration. So you can do a little bit more administration in AppLocker by adding a little bit more lines all the time. Sure. Or the other way is, of course, if you have an SCCM or something that's distributing the software, that does mean that you have to kind of like unpackage and repackage those MSIs so that you get the binaries signed inside of those. Right. So there's a little effort there. But on the other hand, then you don't have to do any app locker administration. Right. So you, you can kind of even choose where it fits your process the best. Yeah, figure out where you want to actually do the work. Yeah. Hey, Sammy, give me one moment here for this very important message. App locker is great, but it's not for everyone and it can't do everything. If you have Windows 7 or Win 10 Pro machines, you simply don't have AppLocker, and software restriction policies are going away. So what do you do? Stay calm and check out PolicyPack. PolicyPack has one-click whitelisting, and it works for your on-prem domain join machines, as well as your always-on-the-go non-domain join machines. Plus, PolicyPack can finally help you remove local admin rights and stop running with the scissors all the time. With PolicyPack, standard users will be able to bypass applications' pesky UAC prompts, let users install their own printers, their own fonts, install their own special applications as needed, and perform other duties you wouldn't normally be able to run as a standard user. Installation takes five minutes, and PolicyPack comes with pre-configured guidance to get your implementation of whitelisting and bypassing UAC prompts off and running quickly. Learn the secret that thousands of other administrators have learned about whitelisting and removing local admin rights. Come to PolicyPack.com to start your fully functional free trial today. PolicyPack, securing your standards. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. Richard Campbell here talking to Sammy Leho. We're talking about the movement towards whitelisting applications. And I'm just tickled pink at this idea that I would sign the apps I want signed and then have a policy that only allows stuff I've signed. So you can whitelist whatever you want. That is, I think it's just a marvelous idea. And also, I did come up with the idea mm -hmm. kind of by myself. It's now validated with a, by a very big like outsourcing companies that are actually doing it. So because they have multiple customers that they take care of. Right. So for them, it's a lot easier to just have a centralized process of validating 
applications that have been tested to be secure and compliant for them, and then just make sure they're signed, and then your whitelisting will allow it. And AppLocker rule set keeps very clean. There's only a few lines needed. Right. So it's a lot less complex on the app blocker side, which is great if you're sticking with like Win 7 Pro mm. and really wanting to sit on the basic features of app blockers. You don't get all the fancy stuff you might get in 10. Mm-hmm. But that rule's so simple. And think about it. Every, every, everyone's now saying that like Windows 10 S mode sucks because it only allows you to run things from the Microsoft Store. Right. But now this one is basically the same security level, meaning you only run trusted binary. Right. But it also includes desktop apps. Right. So it doesn't only include the universal apps. Yeah. So it's what and it's it's whatever you choose to sign. Yes. You could sign whatever you want. So. Mm-hmm. And where do you prefer to get your certs from? I know you said the name earlier. Veristan is just de facto standard for most. Yeah, for better or worse. We like them the same way we like telephone companies, right? Like they're just a necessary evil. Yes. With their deceptive websites and, and practices. But if you can get wade through their crap, you can get yourself a, a company-wide cert service for a reasonable fee. Yeah. And it will take care of the problem. For me, it's a little bit easier because I anyway have to... I, I also publish some software from my company, which means that I anyway have to sign it with sure. a third-party certificate. If you only do this app locker for your internal company and you're not interested in giving these binaries to anyone else, then you're just fine by requesting a code signing certificate from your CA and that doesn't cost you a dime. So. Yeah. Well, and, it, and it's, I think it's a great thing for IT folks to take on these days. It's just that you've got a bunch of internal development. They haven't been signing software. Spend a day, because it's all it really takes, to get your situation organized enough that you can sign all your internal software. Mm-hmm. It's not worth fighting against it. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, and I like I th- think like Visual Studio actually makes it so easy to sign that uh, that should not be a problem anymore. Right now, mostly that comes from the old way of signing being such a hassle that it takes you extra time to test the software because you have to create a new binary every few minutes and sign it all the time. To be honest, I'm seeing this also getting better from the dev side. They're not that picky on this anymore. I think the only place where this is a little bit hard to get through is device driver developers, Mm -hmm. because now Windows 10 requires a little bit more expensive search for that, and the process is a little bit more tedious. So device driver developers are still, that's a little bit difficult field, but on the traditional application development side, I think the devs are with us on this. I don't see it as such a big problem anymore. Yeah, I only run into it when it's you know an old school group of .NET devs mm-hmm. who fought with the early versions and went through stuff like software access control and so forth, and they have those scars. Yeah, and so all code signing is bad. Yeah, exactly. And you just you you have to spend some time working them through. It's not so bad anymore. You know, we'll help, and you can get there. We have to remember that when you buy your signing certificates and stuff like that, that's not great just only for binary and software, because I think one of the easiest way to secure your environment is also to use AppLocker or equal whitelisting solutions against your unsigned PowerShell script. Right. That's very interesting. That's also something because now this, like, you, you can do marvelous things with the scripts, but they're super powerful. So if you can also make sure that your scripts are being signed that is a great thing because then you cannot change and alter the contents of the script. The script has to be exactly the 
bits that it was when it was signed. So it, right. it applies to scripts very well because it's actually easier to tinker with scripts than it is with binary. And great for our IT folks that are getting more sophisticated with writing scripts and checking them into source code and treating them as the assets they are with multiple people using them, that they should get the signing authority figured out for that stuff before they go talking to the devs. So they're speaking from some position of credibility then. It's like, we sign our PowerShell scripts. Yes. And it makes the security guy's job a lot easier. Sure. And you can can just allow signed scripts to run. It's a lot easier to protect against. And to be fair, whitelisting is good as a security boundary. Blacklisting can be used to kind of extinguish fires and some occasional hazards. Like, for example, almost all of my customers, which sounds a little bit weird, but they actually block PowerShell with AppLocker, but they only block PowerShell from limited users. Admins, of course, need PowerShell. It's the management shell of the future, and everyone needs it. Right. But to be fair, if you block PowerShell from limited users, there's not a single crypto locker, wanna cry kind of ransomware in the past five years that would have been able to penetrate your company. Because every one of those tools depends on PowerShell in some way. And actually, now the sad thing, of course, is we're on this constant fight against the bad guys, and I know some semi-bad guys from Europe, and they already said that we're going to go back to VP script and JScript because everyone's blocking PowerShell. So they'll try to find their way, of course, around. But that just means we got to be diligent about turn all that stuff off. You're not using it anymore. Don't yeah. don't leave it on. Yeah, exactly. And that changed a lot because like in uh, Windows 7, if, well, many of those things were blocked by default, and then Windows 10 actually allowed a little bit more scripts to run again. So as you said, we have to just Constantly, we have to keep an eye on how the world develops around us. Yeah, There's a lot of great resources on Twitter, for example, following guys who build GitHub repositories on AppLocker bypasses. I mean, from the good side, listing, there are known weaknesses in AppLocker. And I always say AppLocker needs to be accompanied by Windows Firewall because some things that we have to whitelist, like run DLL32 or HSVR32, those are executables that are in the Windows folder, and we have to whitelist them because Windows needs them. Right. But on the other hand, you can run any binary with them. Right. It's an exploit vector. Yeah. Then we have to say, from the firewall level, we have to say, don't allow these executables to talk outside. So I always say, if you can't block, then you need to contain. Right. So don't let them get the payload. That's just as PowerShell. Just one of the big things I do in most of the companies, you're going to get so much free consulting on this, but... <laughs> most of what I do on most of my customers is just one very easy thing is make sure that only Azure admins and people like that can actually connect with PowerShell executables to the inter- internet. Right. So otherwise, otherwise, make sure you contain, make sure PowerShell can only speak to the parties that it requires, because then that's the most important thing is to block PowerShell from getting the payload in. You could still get a machine exploited, but it won't propagate. Yeah. Which is totally fair. Then when you're doing PowerShell work across your network internally, Mm. you're needing to elevate into some kind of administrator class account to run those PowerShell scripts. For most, it's easy because SCTM or Intune or whatever can run PowerShell scripts because they're using the system account to run them. So they are anyway an admin on the box, so they're fine. Plus, you're an admin when you do it interactively, so that's fine. So there are some cases where people use like logon scripts for limited users that's going to be affected. Currently, if you block it, it just blocks 
so much of the worst malware around there. And I, and I think it tells the story when you honestly hear like the black hat guys saying, because most block PowerShell, we're going to do this. We're going to go a different way. That's a success yeah. story, really, that we've, we've gotten yeah. better at blocking that particular thing. Yeah. So good to simply turn it off there. And then in those few cases where it is from a domain accounts perspective that you want to be able to execute something best done in PowerShell, you have to just implement it as an elevation. Yeah, exactly. The more time I deal with this, the more I miss pseudo. I know, I know. But then, well, there are great like third-party applications that actually can elevate just processes or tasks in Windows to admin. Right. So that there are like tools that can actually do it. So these are all solvable issues currently. And right. to be honest, there are big companies that have said this publicly, like for example, Netflix has publicly said that they don't use antivirus anymore. Right. Like they don't even have Defender. I mean, they're totally without AV or AM or whatever. So they're, they're totally without it because these whitelisting solutions are so much better and the proactive side is so much easier than the reactive side. Yeah. So like whitelisting in and geez, you're going to have so much less work on looking at monitors that give alerts on malware and dealing with those. It takes a little bit of work to be proactive, but you you will save so much time from the reactive side that I've never regretted going up locker way, like everywhere possible. I totally get that, Sam. It's really powerful. So when we start banishing Defender and so forth, we still can't stop the user making the mistake of clicking on the wrong thing and, and they've found a vector that works. How am I detecting that one damaged machine? To be fair, I would never recommend, I, I personally, Although I have these friends or clients or whatever that have done it, I would never recommend disabling Defender, for example, totally, because it's just a nice add-on. If your friend finds a bad thing, maybe you'll find the bad thing as well. It's right. a nice add-on to have. It just can't be the base of your security. Sure. So it's like a second level nice thing. If you think about what the Defender does, it's, it's still, I think they still find something like 99% of bad things, which is, of course, great. It still sadly does mean there's 10,000 bad things going through it every day. Right. If it's a million, what we're looking at. So, so it is a lot, but there's, I, I wouldn't like, I, I would never like, just don't get me wrong that I would say get rid of antivirus. If you think about like the classic situation anyway, like you got an end user, either he's going to click an attachment from a Outlook or whatever email message, he's going to click on attachment, or he's going to click on some silly downloaded executable. Right. And now those executables, they are downloaded to your user's profile under the subfolder called downloads. Yep. Now you, you can't run anything from there with AppLocker. Yep. AppLocker only allows running from program files on Windows. So that even, that won't even start. That stopped. Yeah. That stops there. Now, if you start an PDF, that's still something that we have to, I'd say, contain by not giving people more permissions that they need, more mm -hmm. privileges than they need, because Adobe Reader for sure will be whitelisted. Yeah. But then if it's an any kind of executable that's trying to go through Outlook, Outlook does a quite good job in blocking executables. And even if it got on the hard disk, that would go to the temp folder of the user, which again would be in the user's folder, which again would not go through the AppLocker whitelist. Right. So AppLocker is 
very good in blocking things. And now we have to be fair. If you just remove admin rights and your problem is people using the wrong browser and you're not compliant because you can run Firefox or Chrome, for example, without admin rights. Right. It just doesn't install to the program files. It installs to your own user profile. Now you can fight against that with AppLocker as well, okay? because then AppLocker blocks Firefox, Spotify, TeamViewer, Chrome, all of those things that run with a, that install even without admin rights. So AppLocker blocks those. So, so it's also very good for compliance as well. No, I, I totally appreciate that. It's pretty powerful stuff and, a, and a, an effective approach to it. So where do you direct folks that want to get started with whitelisting? What's the best places to start? I would, of course, guide them to my dojo, which is my win-food.com slash dojo, because I have really good video training material on whitelisting and mm-hmm. I've done a lot of AppLocker projects myself. There's a lot of good stuff on, actually, if you, if you really just go and find AppLocker on docs.microsoft.com, there are quite good. There's a new tool that might help you out a little bit. We both know this one person who's responsible also for the baselines for Windows, so Aaron Marcosis and Aaron has just built a new kind of an add-on tool kit for AppLocker called, I, I think he wrote a blog post saying that, I don't remember who it was, but some, someone forced him to use the name Aaron Locker. So he didn't like the name. He didn't like the name, but it's called Aaron, <laughs> it's called Aaron Locker. So it's an, oh, cool. No, just go Google and find Aaron Locker, or we can post the links as well. So uh, add-on locker is kind of an add-on that might help you a little bit on your journey towards this app locker. Oh, it was Chris Jackson's idea. That totally makes sense yes. to me. <laughs> exactly. He's such a troublemaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> app combat guy has this great idea. So yes, it was his idea. <laughs> All right. Well, definitely include a link to WinFu because I think your site's awesome, uh, Sammy, and really yeah. appreciate the thinking on on getting those that dojo-style training of steps to get better and better and better Mm -hmm. and of course aaron locker we've had aaron on just recently talking about uh, the security baselines and so forth so it's it's great to to sync up with that sammy always a pleasure and far less scary than the dma conversation just actually feel like (laughs) we could take a little control on absolutely it was my pleasure totally this is so fun i'm so like hyped up about this whitelisting thing honestly yeah making environment so much secure than ever before so I, I really like it and this time it's actually doable not like 10 years ago when everyone just hated it it seems yes yeah, so much more sensible now now thanks again sammy thank you so much and we'll talk to you next time on run as radio